Welcome, everyone, to episode 142 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest day-and-date theatrical HBO Max release in the form of the next film, directed by Taylor Sheridan, Those Who Wish Me Dead. With me today, I have someone who hopefully does not wish me dead, my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, happy belated birthday. How are you doing? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I'm good. I I only wish you dead on a few rare occasions, um, you know, a few episodes, I think religious listeners of the podcast can point to, to certain episodes, but no, I I'm good. I had a a good birthday. Um, you know, I hosted a a big trivia game for a lot of people, yourself included. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. That's what I wanted to do on my birthday. And so, uh, yeah, glad people turned out for that. And, uh, yeah, you know, my parents visited also for the weekend. So, uh, it was uh, it was a good weekend, a nice birthday weekend. You know, 26 isn't the most exciting year, I guess, um, to turn. But, uh, you know, I can't think of many more ways that I would have rather spent my birthday than the way that I uh, spent it. And I also got to see one of my most anticipated movies of 2020. Uh, unfortunately, it's 2021. Um, but, you know, better late than never. Certainly, there are other movies that I was anticipating last year that are even more delayed than this one. So... Sure. Um, yeah. it was, it was cool to be back into theaters and, uh, to, you know, to see a movie and actually not only to be back in theaters, but I watched this movie without my mask on because they dropped the mask mandate here in, uh, in North Carolina. Um, of course I've been fully vaxxed for a little bit now. Um, and so I felt comfortable doing that after I sat down. And so it, you know, it really felt like going back to the movies. Um, and, and that part of it was, uh, was enjoyable. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's certainly trending that direction here. I think I can't I think New York. I'm not sure New York is quite there yet in terms of lifting lifting the mask mandate. Oh, not yet. Um, I think it might be. I was reading an article and I can't remember now if it was talking about Massachusetts or New York because I'm still I still get like news notifications for for Massachusetts as well. But yeah, it's it's trending that direction. I mean, I got my second shot over the weekend, um, I guess technically on Friday morning and was absolutely deceased um on friday night i had like 102.3 fever um chills uh like crazy it was able to break the fever overnight but uh the, the 12 hour delay um on that second dose of the moderna vaccine <laughs> hit hard um but luckily luckily fought through it and was able to bounce back obviously most importantly so i could attend your birthday trivia um that was the only reason i was trying to fight off COVID. i mean might as well just, the, the vaccine could have just taken me out for all i cared but i had to make it through your through to your birthday yeah. Your birthday trivia. Second dose, second dose was a little rough for me as well. But like you said, at, you know, it really you sleep it off. Like the next morning, I woke up and I was completely fine. But. Yeah, I, I won't say that I was completely fine when I woke up on Saturday morning, but I certainly was in a better place than I had been when I went to bed the night before. Right. Um, it was honestly, I was like getting a little bit concerned uh, the, the night before, to say the least. So luckily, things had improved. I think. I mean, look, I think my my fever had had completely gone away. Um, I, I was like, or I was like below a hundred when I woke up. So things were, things were doing much better. And yeah, look, I didn't, I did not see this in theaters. I, I saw this, um, on HBO max. So we have a, 
the full range of experiences, but I was certainly looking forward to it as well. It was funny. You mentioned that, you know, this gets to, you get to see one of your, you know, most anticipated movies of 2020. We decided to do this film over one of my most anticipated movies of 2020 as well with one yeah, in the window, which can't wait to watch that treat <laughs> later this week. I'm sure that's going to be something else, but uh, with that, I guess, why don't we just go ahead and, and, and talk about those who wish me dead. Our listeners might have heard my introduction and, and been scratching their heads a bit because just two weeks ago, we discussed a Taylor Sheridan film, at least one that earned him a writing credit with Without Remorse. But this week, we have a true Taylor Sheridan production, his first directed film since 2017's Wind River, as well as his first since establishing what has now become pretty much of a, a juggernaut of a universe in Yellowstone on television. Those Who Wish Me Dead is based on a novel of the same name by Michael Carita. Carita, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, who also co-wrote the script with Sheridan and Charles Leavitt, and stars Angelina Jolie in her return to the action thriller genre as Hannah, a fire watcher and smoke jumper in Montana, who is struggling after failing to prevent the deaths of three children and a fellow smoke jumper in a recent forest fire. Her struggle with grief and solitude eventually brings her in contact with a boy named Connor, played by Finn Little, on the run from a pair of assassins, Patrick and Jack Blackwell, played by Nicholas Holt and Aidan Gillen, respectively, who have been sent by mob boss Arthur Phillip, played by Tyler Perry in the briefest of cameos, so brief that one of us actually missed it in the movie, uh, to murder all those involved and bring in a case against him. Connor's dad, Owen, is one of those people, and the father here, Owen, flees with his son from Florida to Montana in the hope of finding refuge with his late wife's brother, Ethan, played by John Bernthal. What transpires from there exercises, I'd say, many classic thriller tropes as the cat and mouse game between the Blackwell assassins and their remaining targets plays out in front of a background of a raging forest fire. Scott, did those who wish me dead work as well as Sheridan's most recent film, Wind River, which I dare say we both were pretty big fans of? Or did this feel like something more akin to Sheridan's most recent screenwriting outing, which, to say the least, I think we both were less than thrilled with? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to note, I went to the bathroom, apparently, during the Tyler Perry scene. It's not like I just like wasn't paying attention to the movie. Like I, I actually had to, to get up and tend to my needs. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently, I was just discovered afterwards that he was in this movie. And uh, so that's yeah. the only explanation as Look, to why I can't much. remember him. Being. But I yeah. literally, I was watching this movie with, with Karen, and I was like, Tyler Perry is in this movie? <laughs> when he came on the screen i mean that was probably the reaction to, in gone girl as well when he showed up as the lawyer uh he actually had a role in that movie so. just don't expect to see him yeah he's quite good in it i think but um yeah as far as this movie goes scott uh you know i'm definitely a taylor sheridan fan uh you mentioned wind river definitely a big fan of that movie back in 2017 hell or high water i mean oscar nominated film that, though he did he, he did yes he did david mckenzie directed that but uh yeah no he he wrote hell or high water um, he wrote, you know, Sicario. He wrote uh, Sicario, sure, which yeah, is a movie that I, I need to revisit. But um, Hell or High Water and Wind River are, are two movies that I like a lot. I like his style of writing. I like his like hard-boiled but also kind of sharp, witty dialogue. I think suits his you know environments really well. I like that he's doing... he de- Both of those movies have like a neo-Western type feel to it, which I feel like a, not, a, a lot of um, you know directors are not doing nowadays. I mean, the, I mean, Yellowstone is like the Western yeah. drama on TV right sure. now. I'm a fan of Westerns and the Western genre, you know, d- doesn't have many entries um, nowadays. So I'm glad that he's kind of keeping it alive in a successful way. And I think that that continues with with those who wish me dead. I don't think that this film is as strong as a Hell or High Water or Wind River. 
but I had a really good time with this movie. Um, I do think it should be seen in theaters. Um, you know, the, that's not to say that like the, uh, the special effects or visual effects are anything really to write home about. Um, because I think they are a little a little cheesy, but that's kind of one of the things I like about the movie. But this movie is a spectacle, right? It's an action thriller. Um, you know, it gets your blood pumping. Um, there's a lot of suspense, stuff like that. Uh, and I just feel like that's that's better experienced in a, in a theatrical atmosphere. So I had a good theater experience with the movie that I think probably maybe bumped up my rating of the movie a half star or so, um, which I think is, is natural, especially when we've been away from theaters as long as we have. Um, that that's going to make a difference. But I do think this movie is a lot of fun and, you know, reminded, was very reminiscent. You know, some people were comparing with our Morris a couple of weeks ago to like a 90s style action movie, which that comparison didn't really strike a chord with me um, because I, yeah, I didn't really see the the similarities there, but this movie absolutely does feel like something that could have come out in the 90s. And you know, this is just my personal opinion, but, you know, my favorite action era of action movies is absolutely the 90s. Like the majority of my favorite action movies of all time came out in the 90s. Um, and I think this movie and I think the like, like I was saying, the visual effects, they're not quite like all there. That almost contributes to the like, um, you know, slightly outdated feel of it. Um, but I, again, something about that just kind of, you know, struck home with me that, um to, to kind of see something a little bit old fashioned, nostalgic in a way. Um, and Taylor Sheridan just has like, he has a really good control over this movie. I mean, like, look, without remorse, we talked about wasn't really doing anything new. And I don't think this movie is doing anything particularly new, but it has an interesting setting. It actually tries to make you care about the characters to some degree. Um, I like the action. Um, I think there's some good moments of Taylor Sheridan dialogue, although, you know, not as sharp as in those other two movies that I mentioned, not, not as nuanced, probably. I think this movie's a lot more straightforward. Um, and, and I think it just goes to show, right, that, like, you don't have to rewrite the, the book with every single action movie for it to be successful. You don't have to have something that, like, has a plot that holds together like a, you know can't think of a comparison to make, but that just, you know, holds together flawlessly. It doesn't necessarily have to make sense um, as long as you're engaged watching it. At least that's my take on it. When it comes to action movies, I'm not necessarily looking for something that's going to be super intellectually stimulating. Um, I'm looking for something that I enjoyed watching and I enjoyed watching this movie. I think it has good performances across the board. I did think Angelina Jolie was strong in her, um, you know, quote unquote, return to acting. She's only been in a couple of things in the last few years, um, but definitely her return to like being a movie star, um, being in the type of action movies that, you know, she was doing a lot of in the mid 2000s, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Salt, stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I think where she, yeah, where she's, where she's right at home, um, I think in, in those genres, because she is a movie star and I think she still exudes that movie star quality in this movie, even though it's been, a while for her. I think the, you know, supporting cast is good. I particularly like Aiden Gillen as the villain. I think um, he, he, he just plays a great villain. Like, you know, I'm not a game of Thrones fan or anything like that, but like, I can almost, little finger, I, like I, context, I get right? it. He's right? little yes, finger, he's little in, finger game in, yeah. in, uh, in game of Thrones, but like, I get that deviousness um, just watching him in this movie. Like, even though his character, again, even though the villains I think are not super well developed in this movie in terms of their motivations, um, like, 
he's a bad dude and he sells that, you know, really well. And um, some of the scenes where he's, you know, going after particularly John Bernthal and his wife, I think um, he leaves a strong, you know, he leaves a bad taste in your mouth, which is what he's supposed to be doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, the, if I had to describe this movie in one word, it would be solid. Like, I think this movie is just solidly constructed, solidly made, um, it, you know, it, it holds together, it moves, it, you know, you're engaged watching it in the way that I wasn't engaged watching without remorse. Um, you know, you're not going to come away from it shaken to your core, um, or no. changed as a person or, you know, feeling like you want to turn around and rewatch it again right away. But um, I think I, I got more or less a lot of what I was hoping for with this movie, even if it doesn't measure up to Sheridan's work. So I'm, I'm definitely positive on it. And I would definitely recommend that people check it out, preferably in theaters. if you can. Yeah, I think this is just like a, a solidly like Taylor Sheridan film, right? Like if you put this movie on, and I didn't know anything about it. I think I probably could have guessed that Taylor Sheridan had something something to do with this film just because of, again, what you were saying, the hard-boiled nature of it. I mean, this film is pretty violent. Like, it it, it definitely it is, ratchets yeah. up, which is which is consistent with his other, you know, especially mm-hmm. I'm thinking of Wind River. I mean, he's only directed two other movies, only Wind River and then, I think, Vile in 2011, maybe. I don't remember what year that, that film was. But th- though that's, like, his only other two directed films. But, like, it reminded me a lot of Wind River in some departments. I think, unfortunately, it, it comes in solidly below Wind River, in many of those departments, because I think when I mean, Wind River is a very, very good movie, in my opinion. That, that was what, probably my favorite thriller from 2017. Um, I can't think of too many others off the top of my head, I guess, that it would compete with. But, um, you know, it really sticks out. It's a film I still think about. It's a film that I often consider rewatching. Um, and if, if I had more time, maybe I'll get get around to it soon, you know, motivated by this because it, it is really, really solid. Uh, th- this one to me, though, I, I don't disagree with too much of what you're saying. I just think that I'm just like a little bit, you know, less high in like on, across the board. Like, I just think this is like a fine thriller. Like, this is the kind of movie, like my mom watched this movie even before I did, like over the weekend. And she told me that she really liked it. And I'm like, yeah, I knew you would really like this movie. Like, this is just like such, like such a wheelhouse. Like, if she you enjoy really liked Without Remorse. So I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> well, she, but like, um, I mean, at the same time, I think that. Although I do think that those who wish me dead is better, I think that the, those two movies will appeal to similar audiences, yeah, and the no, same audiences right. will enjoy both of the. Like, if you enjoyed mm-hmm. Without Remorse, you're probably going to enjoy Those Who Wish Me Dead. Like, there, there's, it's not it, like this film ultimately is about turning your brain off and just like enjoying the hundred minutes that you spend with it. I think that, again, I do think that this film is better than Without Remorse, but I think it has a lot of similarities in its sensibilities and like what it's trying to do because it's not trying to reinvent the wheel. It's not trying to do anything special. I did think that the film got better as it went along. It, I, I agree that it moves, et cetera, but I was just feeling like kind of, you know, I, I really didn't think like the screen, like the script and the screenwriting was very good for the first half of the film, but I think it did pick up in the second. I think a lot of things picked up in the second half. I wasn't ever disengaged, but I was just kind of like, eh, this is like whatever um, for like a good 30, 45 minutes at the start of the movie until um, sort of until the, until the plot structure sort of comes together and, you know, you have Connor and Hannah, you know, getting together and the assassins are chasing them. And, you know, the film is, is structured really well. Like, I mean, again, I, I wasn't glued to the screen necessarily in the first 45. But once that's done and the plot's set up and it's, its structure comes together, I think it works really well. Um, the performances we'll get to in a second. But, yeah, like the like the intensity is there again. 
you know, may, maybe I'd want it a little bit more from here or there. But the, the, the things that I think this movie, like the things that this movie needs to be successful in my book, which are really satisfying, um, like tension with the resolution of that tension in ways that I would expect from a Taylor Sheridan movie, like the kill scenes and the payoffs on that. I think all those things are really good. And I think ultimately that's, that's what the movie needs uh, to be successful. And so I like, I would recommend it to a person who's just looking, you know, for a way to burn a hundred minutes. Um, you know, whether that's in the theater on HBO max, like I'm, I'm never going to be someone who says that you're going to have a better time watching a movie in your house. But if that's the way you watch this movie, that's the way you watch this movie. And I think that, you know, again, if you're a fan of the thriller genre, you'll probably enjoy this movie. So let's talk a little bit more about the cast, Scott. You said that you think Angelina Jolie sort of really does make her return to, you know, I, I don't want to say capital A acting because that's probably a little bit unfair to Maleficent. But the action thriller genre that I would say, you know, maybe she made her name for in some respects back in the, in the, in the knots, as you were saying. But why don't you expand a little bit more on that? How, like, do you think that this is shows that even at what is she now? Like late 40s? I don't know how old. Almost 50. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think she still has these types of movies in her? Does it, she feel like she's, you know, the, the genre or the filmmaking sort of age past her? I mean, we've talked about how this is a film with older sensibilities, so maybe it's a, the perfect match for her in some ways. But, you know, is she washed up? That's ultimately the question I think that I have. No, I, I mean, I, I don't think so. I think, I mean, you know, look at other action stars on the male side with, you know, with Tom Cruise. He's almost 60. I mean, Liam Neeson is even older than that, probably, or he's in the Gerard same Butler. range. But. Uh, yeah, you know, he's he's pretty old as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think that she's aged out of it. And I mean, I think she just she's comfortable in these types of roles. And that sh- that really shows in this movie, I think, like from the very first time we see her on screen is like, you know, she's she's with all of the other smoke jumpers. And but they're all dudes. Right. And there's like this the scene where somebody walks up and you see them all sitting there and then there's and it's all these, you know, big guys. And then there's Angelina Jolie sitting there. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Like, you know, that's just like a movie star moment right there because she just like, um, you know, kind of stands out am- among the pack. Um, but then like, I, you know, I, I liked those moments. It, you know, it sounds like maybe the beginning of the movie didn't necessarily resonate as much for you, but I like those moments where she's like bantering back and forth with them. She's doing like this one of the boys type thing. Again, like she seems very confident, very comfortable in that role. And I believed her in that role, even though it's kind of like a weird setup of like, you know, you have this, you know, beautiful actress amidst all of these kind of burly um, heathens, you know, fire jumpers. Yeah, I I thought, you know, I thought she sold it pretty well. Um, And I also think she sells the emotional stuff, like you said, later on with uh, when she gets together with Connor. I mean, obviously, look, they set up a pretty cliched arc for her of like, um, can't oh, save children past, in previous forest past fire incident right yeah. yeah so you know she's going to get her second chance when she she meets up with connor but i thought their relationship really worked i thought finn little the discount noah jupe um was uh was pretty strong <laughs> I, um, I literally was like what i was really like why didn't they actor? just pay the extra i don't know however much money just to get noah jupe in this movie <laughs> like honestly yeah well they, i mean look this kid this kid does a good job great. i think yeah, I, I i like their their dynamic i think they are able in a small amount of screen time to like sell that they have formed like a genuine bond um, yeah. over just the course of, you know, a few hours. Cause that's, that's really all it is. But um, you know, I believed their relationship, you know, I, I believe this stuff about like, you know, my father, he, you know, he, he meets her and it's like, Oh, my dad said, you know, I, I should only, 
I shouldn't talk to anyone unless I know I can trust them. And she like, she really like stares and bounds like, you can absolutely trust me. Like I, I, I bought all of that. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think, you know, it's, she's able to overcome some of the cliches in the way that the character is written, because I think she, you know, this is a role that feels very well suited to her. And I think she shows that in her years out of the acting sphere, haven't, you know, stunted her ability to play this sort of movie star role. And I hope she continues to get the opportunities. You know, I, I don't know where her priorities lie going forward, like with uh, directing, because she's directed a, a couple of films now. That's one of the reasons that she stayed out of acting. But if she wants to pursue acting, I hope that she keeps getting these types of roles, because I think they're the ones that are, you know, the best suited to who she is and what she wants to do, it seems. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I I think she, again, I think it, it probably suits her really well that this, you know, this is a type of movie with, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say less modern, but like more defined sensibilities that I think fit with with, you know, one the performance that she's able to give, and two also sort of almost her narrative as an actress, right? Like this someone who's like been kind of I don't want to say down and out, but like not necessarily at the top of her game. Um, and that's the kind of place that this person is in, in real, you know, in the in the yeah. film as as a stage in their life. And so I think that it is good casting. I think that she's able to do a good enough job. Uh, but Scott, I think I'd be lying if I didn't say that I actually think Finn Little's the best person in this cast. I think that he gives a really good performance. Um, again, I, I I think that he almost like somehow it manages to outperform Angelina Jolie in some of these key scenes. I mean, you're talking about the scene where they're at the top of the fire, you know, the fire watchtower. Um, and they're having this like really strong emotional moment. And I don't know. I just found the whole thing very believable. I agree that Angelina Jolie is also very believable in that character in that moment. But I was just actually really taken, taken aback, I think by the quality of the performance from this person who I, I think I could be wrong, but I don't think he's been in anything before. I think this is his first time uh, acting. And I think he did a good job. I think this, <laughs> but in spite of some really weird lines in that scene, I think he has some really, really weirdly written lines um, in that moment. I think he's able to sort of somehow, transcend that and actually give really strong from just consistent um you know with, with the rest of the film in spite of some cheesy moments of it which i think you might have been alluding to um at least in some other departments of the film a little bit earlier but yeah i i like both angelina jolie and i particularly like finn little in this scott but i'm also curious to get your thoughts on the the villains here i mean you talked about aiden gillen playing it well i mean he did it for like nine years or however long game of thrones was was on hbo um playing little finger um but Scott, this was also did it did it hurt your soul a little bit to see the kind of villain that Nicholas Holt could be that we were denied as he exited Mission Impossible uh, sometime in the last twelve months? Scott, what did you think of the villains here? Yeah, I, I don't know that I would go that far. I just here's the thing: Nicholas Holt has shown in some of his recent films that he can play really yeah. colorful characters, right? And it just felt like. I mean, I don't think he gives a bad performance or anything in this movie. There's Certainly not anything not. for this, for that villain, for that, for that character. To, to yeah, but, but having seen what he was capable of, I just feel like they could have done more with this character. Um, yeah. And so it was, it's a, it was a little bit of a disappointment in, in that department because, you know, he is someone that I look forward to to seeing in movies, you know, after the favorite Mad Max Fury Road. Those are kind of the two movies I was thinking of about you know, these are movies where he gives really sort of out there performances that that work really well. And this is just a, you know, pretty standard heavy to some, you know, d degree. I, I mean, I do like that, like, he's, he almost seems like at the start of the movie, he seems like the, 
less assertive one, right? Like that he's kind of following in defers, his brother's yeah. footsteps a little bit. Um, but then towards the end of the movie, his character starts to sort of develop in a way where it's like, oh, well, actually, maybe he's the more threatening one of the two, um, which I thought was, you know, I, I, I kind of liked that. Um, that being said, his character makes the stupidest decision of the entire film. Um, I mean, we'll get we'll just go ahead and spoil it since we're a little bit deep into the review now. But um, yeah, I mean, like his his moment where he dies, right? Like he he ha- basically has Angelina Jolie on the ground. He's, you know, punching her in the face several times and saying he's trying to get Connor to come out and um, says, you know, I'm going to keep hitting her until until, you know, you come out. So he comes out. So she's on the ground like 30 feet away from him or for 30 feet away from where the kid has come out of the forest and Nicholas Holt, you know, he's punched her several times, right? He's beaten her up good, but it's very clear that she's not unconscious or anything. Yeah. But as soon as he gets the kid, as soon as the kid comes out, he starts walking towards Le- him. Like he's leisurely him. walking towards him. Yeah. And Making I'm like, time. She's just going to get up. And I mean, like, yeah, obviously, you know what's going to happen. She gets up. She has an axe, which, I mean, that's a pickaxe. Cool. But, uh, yeah. Very tomb raider of her. She, you know, yeah, she clobbers him, kills him. Um, and I was like, come on. That that was kind of stupid. Um, Bush League. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on, on Nicholas Holt. I think he's fine, but we've we've seen him do better, and it would have been nice to see him really cut loose here. But also, that's not really what Taylor shared. Right, like he doesn't make super over the top movies. Yeah, look, you he, know, he's not writing nucks over here. Yeah, and uh, but I think that's what I liked about Aiden Gillen's performance is that he he's very controlled, right? It's it's a it's a controlled type of villainy in the sense that like he's able to really like dominate the screen with and give off it's really brilliant. like evil yeah. mustache twirling vibes in a way without ever feeling like he is you know, at a, a much higher level than anyone else in the movie, right? Like in terms of like going over the top or anything like that. I feel like he just has a good presence for um, being a villain in this type of more, you know, serious movie, um, more serious thriller. Um, and so I think he was a, he was a good choice. And, uh, you know, I, I like his like exasperation about how much he just like hates uh it, where, where is it montana that they're in yeah he just like hates being in montana and that's just like a running sort of bit over the course of the the movie that works pretty well and i also think his death scene his death scene by by contrast i think is is really good like i i thought that was a a great scene between him and um, john bernthal's wife um that ultimately ends up with you know a great sort of standoff of who can reload their gun faster and get off the kill shot i i thought that was that was well staged um, and of course, you know, Aiden Gillen ends up on the wrong end of that. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think, you know, a mixed bag a little bit with the villains, but I think what Aiden Gillen's able to do really works. Yeah, I think that I, I, I agree. I think Nicholas Holt's certainly the less impressive character, although I think he and Gillen both do do what they can with it. Certainly uh, the climactic situation that you've described between him and Angelina Jolie and um, Finn Little, it, it, it's head scratching. But um, look, it, it is what it is. I, I guess I think I, I really do chalk that up to some of the other issues that I might have had with the screenwriting overall. It's for the narrative development um, early on. I, I kind of was just rolling my eyes a lot and 
Um, that, that, that certainly took the eye roll to, to a new level for sure. But yeah, I mean, when I was referring to a moment earlier on in the, uh, I guess earlier on in my high level thoughts around, you know, satisfying kills, I mean, I don't think they come much more satisfying and much more thrilling than what you get with Ethan's wife, Allison and Aiden Gillen's character. Um, I forget which one, which one of the brothers, which, what, what is, which, which brother's name that he is. But, um, yeah, look, it, it's that, that was a really satisfying standoff scene and has you sort of like i don't know like almost almost you're not standing when you're watching this movie but jump you know proverbially jumping up and down sort of in your seat trying to you know will this character to reload their gun faster and get the shot off and at first i thought that that they both had shot each other um but yeah it does kind of seem like that yeah yeah but i guess his his shot miss misses or or something but yeah very very satisfying moment and again, like that's proof you don't have to do like crazy John Wick choreography or anything to make compelling action. Um, you know, just just do something with a little bit of tension. I mean, I think that's where w- without remorse, you know, was was a big failure in that department is that the action was just boring. Um, and here you're at least getting some some kind of interesting stuff that you haven't seen before, but not stuff again, not not crazy John Wick level choreography. Yeah, I mean, at the same, yeah, that is true. But I think the the sort of the things that overlap here in the, I think what make it so intense and what makes John Wick so intense is that yes, there's obviously this, you know, sort of almost jaw dropping choreography at times with John Wick, but it's it is the one on oneness. It is like the mano imano ness, yeah, and not and like sort of just like really willing this character to like win win that standoff that I think really ratchets up the intensity. And that's just something that just like never exists and without remorse, like. Like, like all of the action sequences are just like really grandiose almost except for like you know one maybe um but even at the beginning of the film in, in the house um but even then it's like it just doesn't, it, Already it doesn't forgotten it. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well because it's so overshadowed by the blandness of the rest of it um yeah. whereas this is like it feels like a lot of the action in this film builds up to these moments right so like everything that's happening pushes you towards you know this mm. this experience as opposed to it's almost like and, without remorse, it's just the exception, not the not the rule. And again, even I, I think that, that they do decent character work with a lot of these people. Like, I mean, I think that John Bernthal and his wife, you know, they don't have a huge role in the movie, but like I was invested in their arc, you know, John, uh, his wife in particular, you know, being yeah. pregnant, um, yeah. you know, plays into it. And uh, the whole like sort of torture scene almost in the uh, in their in their home when Nicholas Holt and. Aiden Gillen show up and um, you know, he's got like the fire poker and he's, you know, right holding it face, up to yeah. her. Um, and also, you know, you're of course the whole time, you know, he comes in and he like pushes her down and she falls over a table or something. And of course the whole time you're worried about the child that she's carrying too. Yeah. Um, so I, just I thought that brilliant question. Are you pregnant? What do you think? She's huge. <laughs> <laughs> what on yeah. earth? I, I, uh, I thought that, um, you know, that, that that was like a, some nice darkness to the movie. Like yeah. the, that was, you know, again, another sort of Taylor Sheridan touch in a way. Yeah, Although, absolutely. you know, there is the one weird thing with Aiden Gillen's character where he's like, I he like I will, refuses I really to kill a pregnant Craig. woman. Yeah. He's <laughs> like, that's how much I don't want to kill a pregnant woman. Well, I like, always, John Berthal is out here like demanding them to kill him. Like it, yeah. he knows exactly what he's doing. Like he's totally in control of the situation. Um, I, I just like, yeah, I mean, the funny part about all that is, is just like I find it so funny when people say stuff like that. I'm like, 
are like at worst in your mind it must be that you're killing two people but like, you've killed like five people in the movie so far so like what do you well, yeah i mean like it, it, it's not that it would be okay if i felt like it was set up in any way like if there was yeah. any sort of reason why he would feel differently about but but yeah like the earlier in the movie right like there's the the whole car thing whole, happens right when they yeah. they run they run them off the road and you mm-hmm. know and the father uh finn little's father dies or whatever well then this other driver pulls up like and has witnessed what is happening. And graphically aiden gillen doesn't even think twice he just like uh, you know murders her and i understand that there is like an element here of like well we have to keep certain people alive because they know things right they they have information and if we kill them this information is going to lost i mean that's kind of that's john bernthal really um yeah but because he has he has information on where the boy is or at least they think that he does um but yeah but then the whole the whole pregnant wife thing just seems like this really weird like why is this the i mean uh, uh, on some common sense level it makes sense why this would be a line but you know we we haven't seen anything of that character that thus far to suggest that you know yeah. he would have some sort of moral code about you know killing pregnant women Look, we don't know his moral code. Maybe he, uh, nope, I can't think of anything to define what actually happened in this movie. So I guess we can just move on from that then. Um, yeah, Scott, I don't, honestly, I'm not really sure how much more there is to talk about. I mean, we could talk about the action, the visual effects, and the, I think we've really spoken a lot about some of the things, but what, any loose ends you want to tie up? Yeah, I mean, I, I do want to say that I think the major problem plot hole-wise is just, and again, I, I very much enjoyed the movie in spite of this, Um is like that the villains don't seem to have any sort of motivation. I there's yeah. the vaguest of setups of like, well, Cor- you know, corporate the, espionage the, or some like political the house. Yeah, like yeah. the Ben Little's father has was it's like a forensic accountant or something, forensic yeah. accountant who uncovered uh, the like the some sort of like conspiracy criminal. about yeah yeah like you know the involving the politics, assassins or like in yeah, yeah and. Tyler Perry is the mob boss. Yeah, um, I will say that uh, that explosion scene at the beginning of the movie, though, that was like chilling to me. Like I, I like just when they were like in the car driving away, and it, it like blows up behind. I was like, yeah. my blood like ran cold. I was like, wow, that was like well done. It it reminds me of the in the Untouchables, like or the early scene where the little girl had picked, you know, holds the, the briefcase and it blows up. Yeah, you know, inside the it, re- it reminded me of the Dark Knight when they blow up the hospital, but. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was about that, the way that that whole thing was staged, but it, I thought it was well done. Um, and also again, another like, like dark moment. Yeah. It's also just like leaving the house, like you had a little blood on your shirt. I'm just like, oh, Jesus, that's going to be that kind yeah. of movie. <laughs> but, but like in, in spite of it, it works, right? Because yeah. I think, you know, again, good performances, like, you know, like, you know who the good guys are, you know who the bad guys are. Like, at the end of the day, it's about the good guys have to stop the bad guys from doing evil stuff. We may not know exactly why they're doing this evil stuff, but as long as you're like engaged in that very, that most fundamental of, um, you know, struggles between good versus evil, then you're going to get something out of this movie. And like, I, I ultimately, will. I mean, like, look, again, I compare it to 90s action movies, like some of the most 90s action movies that I love the most, some of my favorite action movies have ridiculous Set up. I mean, like, just have, they, they have, ridiculous, have like, ridiculous characters in them, but this one doesn't. Dennis, Dennis Hopper is going to put a bomb on a bus, and if it drops below 50 miles an hour, then the bus blows up. Like, go why would you do something that complicated? Like, there are so many easier ways to, like, 
rig a hostage situation, you know, to where you get, you know, this money that you want, then this like complex Rube Goldberg type, like bus bomb device. And yet you're, we're talking about one of the greatest action movies of all time. Why, you know, going to another uh, movie, why are you going to put some of the absolute worst convicts, the most wanted people in, you know, the, the, the country on the same plane, um, and also just throw this random guy played by Nicolas Cage on there as well. Um, he's it doesn't make any worst, sense. Worst convicts. In- <laughs> and yet it creates one of my, another one of my absolute favorite action movies. Um, I didn't know Nicolas Cage so is much. just a random guy who got in a bar fight and accidentally kills someone. And then you have, uh, what, Danny Trejo's character who, like, has sexually assaulted, like, 20 women or something. And that's an entire plot point. Um, but, uh, but, they don't yeah, make anyway, them like they the, used to. <laughs> They, they they don't, but they, they kind of did with this movie. I guess is my point. I mean, this definitely doesn't reach the the you know heights of ridiculousness of Con Air, but um, I my my ultimate point is you don't have to. Um, not everything has to make sense for you to make a good action movie. That's not what action movies are generally about. I mean, the Mission Impossible movies, to use a more recent example, have very labyrinthine plots that I don't can't always follow. But you're always engaged in these movies, um, and that's my ultimate point. I, I don't think this movie measures up to the high level that I've mentioned of any of the movies that I've mentioned here. But um, it, it's on, more on that end of the spectrum than it is on the end of the spectrum of you know without remorse or uh, extraction or something like that. Yeah, and I think also to, to kind of sort of dovetail off one of your points from earlier about how you really feel like the the setup of this movie is really lacking in a lot of ways. I think going back to a point that I was making earlier as well, I think that really kind of explains in a lot of ways or really, you know, sort of contributed to my lack of engagement until the plot of the film was like really fully established. And, you know, the two threads had come together or you could even argue three threads had come together and everything pushes forward from there. Yeah. What, the second what, half of the movie just kind of doesn't like, just, it just says, you know, what, all that, all that stuff that we said at the beginning to set up, just forget it. Like we're just going to, we're just now going to play out a thriller. Yeah, because once you get to, like, Angelina Jolie is up in the tower, right, then there's, like, this whole, like, ticking clock element that becomes a factor because there's a f- forest fire coming, but also she, like, doesn't have any power. She can't contact anyone. You know, the assassins are here. There's the kid that shows up or whatever. It, you know, mm-hmm. they, they almost, like, it becomes a little claustrophobic in a way because, like, a lot of the action is going on in this, like, very confined space. And then there's this whole looming giant of the forest fire, which I think helps you know to ground the plot in a way that like doesn't have you focusing on like oh there's this giant conspiracy going on no ultimately it's about this person is hunting this person yep exactly this other person has to stop them from doing yeah and that's exactly why i think i found that second half more more compelling um but at the same time i wasn't bored in the first i want to be clear i wasn't bored in the first half either i was just like yeah this this isn't that good um but anyway I think the only last thing I want to mention, just because I found it, I just found this like so ridiculously earnest that it felt almost silly. Like after the movie's like pretty much over and like the other smoke jumper jumpers like come in and like rescue them, man, these guys are taking their jobs so damn seriously. Like there's like literally like a fire that is about to erupt. And like this thing is like done. Like the movie is over. The fire has burned out. There's nothing left. And these guys are like having like full military like invasion of this like fire zone. Yeah. And I was just like, why are they doing this so seriously? It's so funny. One thing, 
<laughs> One thing I do want to say is that about the ending is that I kind of liked that because you think you know exactly where this is going, right? With with uh, Finn Little's character, like and Angelina yeah. Jolie, they formed this bond or whatever, and you know she has this past. She's gonna adopt of, him, and yeah, but they don't really go there, right? That's kind of what I like is that he's like, well, what happens to me now, right? Like, yeah. what what am I gonna do, you know, tomorrow? What's my future? My parents are dead now, and she's like, well, I don't know but we're going to figure it out together. So it's yeah. not like a, you've got a place to live with me or, you know, or something like that, where she's like yeah. adopting him. Cause I just don't feel like the character would do that. I mean, she's, she's out here freaking parachuting off of stuff. Like that's like a, another point that we haven't off really the mentioned. Back of the pickup like, truck. She has like, yeah, like I, she doesn't strike me as the person who like wants to be grounded by like a, having to care for a child. Um, so yeah. I like that. She's like, yeah, we're going to be friends. I'm going to help you find, you know, what you're going to do next, but it's not going to be with me. Cause I feel like that would have just been again, inconsistent and also just a little corny. And then we fade to like this country song, uh, like as we, we see the mountains and it like pans out as, you know, for, for the in, ending of the movie with this country song playing in the background, that felt like a nineties. That was hardcore nineties <laughs> right there. Yeah. Also like, look, let's, let's think about this in reality. Like this kid's getting killed in like a week. Like a week later, <laughs> Tyler Perry hires some new assassin, and this kid is dead. Like this kid's like fully dead. Those like 100, 100%. who continue to wish me dead, the sequel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that 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 sequel, it, it doesn't need to happen because that kid's dead in like a couple days, like guaranteed in real. But I don't know I don't how know. he survived the car wreck in the first place because it was pretty bad. But he wore a seatbelt. There you go. Where is the Wear your seatbelts, kids. Yeah. All right, Scott. Uh, favorite scene or moment from those who wish me dead. Um. I mean, I feel like we've talked about a lot of the the really strong moments in the film. Yeah. Um, you know, I really liked the, you know, explosion at the beginning of the movie. I thought that, like, sets Scott the Scott likes to really watch things nicely. go boom. Big boom. I, I, no, I don't know what it was about it. Again, it was just, yeah. like, the whole of them, like, walking away. After, because you don't know that they're bad guys at this point, right? Like, you, maybe you have a – maybe you pretty suspect good, a pretty good suspicion. Because, again, Aiden, Aiden Gillen is just, like, he exudes villainy. But, like – you know, they, they're like, oh, it's a gas leak, it's fine, whatever, it'll blow over, and then they're walking away, and, you know, we get, like, a pretty big explosion just in the middle of this normal-looking neighborhood. So, that was good, you know, the the final showdown between uh, Bernthal's wife and, yeah, that was and Aiden was Gillen. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, the, the, those are, I think, the the strong moments in the movie from, a, from an action perspective, and then, you know, just some of the stuff... The, the stuff between the, the kid and Angelina Jolie works, although there's not like a particular scene, maybe necessarily. That I would... Yeah, I did get I did get like a half a half laugh out of when the kid like wakes up after the fires, but he's like, huh, I fell asleep. Like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> you <Yeah>. did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I had to pick a scene, it was it would be that it would be a, a, the scene between Allison, which is I'm forgetting the actress's name right now, Medina Sankor. There we go, um, and. And Jack, which is Aiden Gillen's character. So, yeah. Good stuff. Scott, out of 10, what are you giving those who wish me dead? 7.5. This is a, a, a good action movie. It, it, it really is. And, like, you know, uh, we I feel like I've crapped on a lot of action movies, you know, in, in recent times with, you know, I'm not going to mention all those names again, but, you know, the ones that I, I'm talking about. Um, so, you know, lest I be accused of like just not liking action as a genre let allow me to say that i found this to be a very enjoyable action movie not just because i watched it in theaters i think yeah. um it, it's it's an engaging movie it's well put together 
you know, for, for this type of movie. And I hope Taylor Sheridan continues to make movies of this ilk because, uh, you know, again, I like the neo-Western thing. I like the setting of the movie. Um, and I like in particular what he's been able to do from a writing perspective with Wind River and Hell or High Water. I think there's some really good nuanced character work um, that is going on in those movies. You know, we, we don't see anyone else really making films like that. So 7.5. Yeah. Uh, 6.3 for me, it is able to manage to overcome a week, uh, what I think is a, is a weak first half of the movie um, and, you know, do things well. Uh, yeah, I wish it had been as good as Wind River because Wind, I mean, I don't know. We we obviously did not review Wind River on the podcast because it came several months to you know, half a year before we uh, we really started this thing in earnest. But I think I would have been pretty, pretty high on it. Um, really good film. I think if you if you haven't watched Wind River, and you watched this film and you enjoyed it, I suspect that you will watch Wind River, and you should watch Wind River. You'll enjoy that even more. Uh, but yeah, 6.3 for me. Scott, I think that will do it for our discussion of Those Who Wish Me Dead. Let's take a short break, and when we return, we'll be talking about some big, 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 big news in the world of entertainment, as well as a recent trailer. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. As I mentioned before the break, we have some really big news. Uh, Scott, I was having a perfectly good weekend on Sunday, uh, getting ready for your birthday trivia. I actually wasn't having a perfectly good weekend at Sunday. At that point, I was doing okay. Um, and I was getting ready for your Zoom trivia. And there is this like Bloomberg report that Warner Media, owned by AT&T, is going to make an announcement on, soon at that point that they would be the AT&T would be spinning out Warner Media, a company which they only bought four years ago, to merge with Discovery, which is the um, company that owns the like all of these sort of like reality TV channels that you think of, like obviously the Discovery Channel, HGTV, TLC, the Food Network, um, like a lot of things that is pretty much like it, it, all those unscripted television channels that you think of. Discovery owns all of those. And internationally, they own a ton of. A ton of stuff like they own a lot of sports rights internationally, as well as having a pretty strong footprint um, in those markets for their unscripted shows as well. And uh, this was announced on Monday morning. So just as of recording, you know, yesterday morning um, that this merger was indeed happening. AT&T obviously made this huge play to purchase Time Warner Cable in 2017. Um, I, I believe it was first announced in 2016. The deal closed in 2017. And, you know, four years later. You know, they're giving up like they basically just finished the merger, like really fully finished the merger. Um, you know, they're starting to realize some of the synergies involved with their two companies. Uh, they have Jason Kylar. They brought him in from Hulu to run, you know, Warner Brothers. And, you know, they made some big waves with things like obviously day and date last year. First with Wonder Woman 1984, followed with this announcement that their entire 2021 slate. And that obviously rubbed a lot of talent in Hollywood the wrong way. Um, I think that's a that is almost an understatement to say that it really upset a lot of people in the industry. And, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I work for NBC Universal, being really transparent about that. It was, you know, part of the like part, part of the news of the announcement was that for a long time, NBC Universal and AT&T uh, had been having conversations to merge Warner Media and NBC Universal. So I should say Comcast and AT&T, 
you know, that was something that, you know, has been long rumored for years and years, never really worked out for lots of different reasons. Um, one of which is sort of the antitrust implications of NBC Universal and Warner Media combining, you know, unclear whether like how big the hurdles would be for antitrust. Uh, granted, Disney and Fox, of course, merged a few, you know, just a couple years ago and were able to vault that hurdle of um, antitrust, you know, with some bending over backwards and divestments and things like that. But uh, for lots of different reasons, that transaction never worked out. And instead, AT&T, who I, sh I should say the real driving force behind this guy, and this is probably not something that you care about, is that AT&T just has like a, a ton, a ton, a ton of debt that they've taken on over the years. And they need to get rid of some of that debt. And they took on a lot of debt when they purchased Warner Media and Time Warner Cable more broadly. And now they are trying to divest those assets to pay down their debt um to de to delever as it's called um and sort of finance and business and they're doing this so they get 43 billion dollars for this transaction and 71 percent of the new company and they're and it's a really interesting proposition this is something that you know i take my you know business analyst hat off and put on my hollywood industry hat and this is something that people in hollywood and creatives have been praising and i think you know one implication that kind of got overshadowed by the whole deal is that dune which is a co-production between HBO, or I shouldn't say HBO, I'm sorry, Warner Warner Brothers and Legendary, which is an independent production company. Um, that film, which was slated like Godzilla vs. Kong, which is another Legendary project, uh, to go day and date this year. Uh, October 1st, I believe, was its release date, or sometime in October. And that now has is going to have a 45-day exclusive window in theaters. Now, do I think that that is like wholly dependent on this transaction? No, but I think that is emblematic of the direction that I would expect Warner Media and Warner Brothers, more specifically when you're talking about film, to go in with uh, like under the leadership of Discovery. You know, someone who's viewed as much more talent, creative, Hollywood friendly than, you know, telecom giant AT&T. So I think from an industry perspective, a Hollywood perspective, I mean, this is huge news. I think this is something that, that to my understanding, based on reading some articles, is like very much celebrated by talent you know honestly it might actually keep christopher nolan in the warner brothers stable i think that he probably i mean like understandably maybe didn't really want to work with jason kylar and warner brothers over there um and you know as soon as this deal was announced basically like a few hours later it was rumored that jason kylar was negotiating his exit from the company which was pretty uh pretty expected i think is to say the least you know he's someone who started off um and I guess not, I shouldn't say started off, but like became famous because he brought Hulu um, sort of into being one of the top streamers in the space. And so it was very streaming focused. Um, yeah, so just a huge, huge, huge announcement. You know, this is easily the biggest thing that's happened in entertainment since the Disney Fox merger. And it's really interesting that a company that was trying to vertically integrate telecom with entertainment and media production just gave up, you know. AT&T just simply gave up before they even really got started, to be honest. Um, just too much investment, too much cost. And I think it has a lot of implications for the industry overall, many of which will have to play out over the next couple of years. But Scott, I just sort of got, got you know, stood on my soapbox for five to 10 minutes or whatever it's been. So what, what are your thoughts on all this announcement? I know you, this is something that you care a lot less than, than yeah, I do. But. My, my thoughts are that I have very little thoughts about the whole business side of this, I think. That's well, how about this? I, so, I, so how about this then? What if I phrase this question like this then? Like, 
what are your thoughts on the likely direction of Warner Brothers being a little bit more focused on pushing a more traditional experience, not necessarily completely sort of shrug, like shedding off some of the commitments that we've seen to HBO Max and some of the more consumer focused initiatives around bringing very premium content to HBO Max at the same time as bringing it to theaters. But it's but a likely shift in direction of that. Is that something that you think is good or bad or neutral or what are your what are your thoughts about that? I, I mean, look, I, I certainly think that that, you know, on a, on a high level is a good thing. I mean, I just spent some time talking about why I think, you know, it's better to watch those who wish me dead in the theater than on HBO Max. I do wonder, too, if 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 HBO, if, you know, if they're regretting at all the deal that um if if Warner Brothers is regretting at at all the deal that they um, did for you know getting those movies you know the, the dual releases right in theaters and on HBO Max just because I yeah. think we're going back to theaters sooner maybe than than people thought we were um, and yeah so so I question now in in the long term is is it going to pay off in in the way that they had hoped because you know pe- people are going to actually want to go out to theaters to watch some of these movies. So, yeah, I think yeah. that is such an interesting question. And it's one that I've been asking myself a lot recently. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the numbers like Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong, like really didn't do that much poorly and domestically, right? Cause this is just domestic because internationally mm-hmm. it, it, you know, they have a more traditional theatrical release there still, but domestically the, the film did not underperform by that much relative in theaters, even with the HBO max distribution that much. And there's all this talk. I think that like, I mean, certainly th- these films are driving, you know, subscribers and usage on HBO Max, which is huge, um, especially as HBO Max is, you know, continuing to, to push more content and continuing to, you know, drive their plans forward with the international rollout. And I think they're inter- they're introducing a ad an ad tier, I believe, actually in the next couple months is my understanding. And I think that it's really interesting to see that. You're not getting your, you know, the box office is not fully back yet, nor would you expect it to be even if these things weren't on HBO Max. But it, I think it's really been surprising for me as someone who, you know, sort of lives and breathes on a daily basis from the business side to see that the theatrical business of these bigger movies, these movies where people are like, you can't put this on HBO Max or like the box office is just going to crater. And I actually see that the box office, sure, it's not 100% of what it was in 2019, you know, with when, when Godzilla uh, King of the Monsters came out. Um, as, as sort of a direct comparison of right before COVID. But it is doing much better than I think people expected. And so it feels like HBO Max is, and Warner Brothers has actually been able to like sort of have their cake and eat it too with this. And I, and I wonder, um, I wonder about that. But I, I don't also, I ask the same man, don't disagree with what you're saying because I think people are starting to go back and, and are hungry to go back. And at the time when they made this like full like 21 slate announcement that every movie in 2021 including they're like, you know, big Q4 movies. Like, I mean, who knows if Matrix 4 is actually going to hit at the end of this year. But like Matrix 4, Dune, all these movies they push back to the end of 21. We're going to be day and date. And it kind of left me, and I don't remember if we discussed it on the podcast, but like a lot of industry commentary around, you know, why are you putting your full slate of, on HBO Max? Right? Why are you committing to that right now when so much is still uncertain? Just like, you know, in April or May or whatever of last year, it was really uncertain how long this thing was actually going to be. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, that is the question. I mean, like, look, you know, this isn't, wasn't Warner brothers or anything like that, but saw the new saw movie that came out from what I understand did decently well at the box office for 
yep. that sort of thing. And I think, you know, again, the revenues are, I mean, may, maybe they're going to go up, but like, or, you know, they, they will continue to for movies like Saw and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, I guess my question was ultimately, are they going to go up for, for, you know, for Warner Brothers now that people can stay home and watch them on HBO Max? Are they, are they going to do that um, instead, instead of going to the theaters where, where, you know, WB would be getting more money if, if people were going. Out to the they're theaters, actually, they're but. actually not getting more money necessarily. Um, oh, okay. I mean, well. if you think about like subscribers, I mean, it's fifteen dollars to subscribe to HBO yeah. Max. Yeah, know. yeah, that's true. Um, well, well, anyway, that that's a question. But let me ask you this: on Dune, like, wasn't it always kind of discussed from the beginning of this whole deal being done that Dune was probably going to be a theatrical exclusive, right? Or at least, what didn't Denis Villeneuve or somebody come out and say, like, I want, I want my movie to be to get an exclusive theatrical release. I don't know if it was confirmed. I mean, like I'm, I'm now, positive but. that he came out at the beginning and, and said that. Yeah, but I, that's what I, I, I don't think that it, it definitely, it definitely was announced this week, like after that merger um, announcement, like later, later in the day on Monday that uh, it was sort of like bundled into a larger report about HB, about Warner brothers, that that film was going to have an exclusive 45 day window in theaters and I think that, you know, when that was decided, I have no idea. Like, maybe that was negotiated. But, I mean, one of the driving forces behind that is because that film is co-produced by Legendary, that it's just a like a much bigger can of worms. And it's probably an arrangement that Warner Brothers and Legendary worked out to sort of just honestly avoid litigation. Because um, I think I think Legendary was probably just going to sue them about it. Um, you know, Godzilla mm-hmm. versus Kong in, in March is one thing, but Dune in October is another. And so especially when this is a movie that like, you know, I hope to God they make a sequel because they're only making like the first half of the book, um, especially with the quality of Villeneuve and, you know, seeing Blade Runner 2049 underperform at the box office. Like we need to give this film like every chance it can have to succeed uh, in my opinion, because especially because I just read the novel too. And that thing's, I mean, that novel's amazing. I hope they can, and I believe in Villeneuve to be able to do that, right. Do that, you know, properly. Um, so I'm all aboard that train, and I think that Legendary certainly is on that train too because they need the they need the box office, right? They're not like Warner Brothers. They're I mean, like, yes, I'm sure they get, I'm sure all of these co-pros, um, like, get a cut from HBO Max or just get paid out on the back end, like, like essentially Warner Brothers just like paid all of their creative talent a ton of money to just to get them to like eat this day and date strategy, um, and I just think that that's a that's a tougher pill to swallow for Legendary, um, when they're trying to build a franchise out of Dune. I mean, they have a they have an HBO Max yeah. like spinoff show called S- The Sisterhood, I think, which is like exploring the Bene Gesserit, um, which is like the, one of the religious sects in the in of the of the universe. Um, so that they 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 want to build this universe, and as awesome as it is to have the flexibility to watch an HBO Max or go to the theater, whichever your comfort is, Legendary needs you to go to the theater to do that. I mean, I'll certainly be seeing it in the theater either way. Oh, a thousand percent, I'll be seeing that Thursday night. If they have show, it's on Thursday night. I'll be seeing that on Thursday night for sure. I'm right, yeah. Easily, easily the most excited, the thing I'm most excited about this year. Anyway, Scott, enough about that. Why don't we talk about what you want to talk about? And that is a trailer for Dear Evan Hansen. Yeah, so this is the uh, Broadway musical adaptation. I think Scott maybe had it as one of his most anticipated of the year. Yeah, either um, that or it was an honorable mention. It was definitely, we definitely, yeah, it was definitely mentioned. Um, yeah. But this was a Tony winning musical from a few years back. Uh, that was sort of the breakthrough role for Ben Platt, um, who's gone on to do a few other things since then. But he's going to be reprising his role in this film as the title character. Um, 
The plot is sort of about this high schooler who commits suicide um, and writes a note to our titular character, Evan Hansen, um, about how he appreciated his friendship, uh, you know, something like that. It, it's a little unclear from the trailer. I'm sure they sorry, don't want sorry. To everything else. I, because I know a little bit about it. It's actually, he actually, that, that kid actually doesn't write the letter. Dear, like Evan Hansen writes the letter to himself and he prints it and that kid takes it. Um, it's it's kind of, the trailer made it sound a lot complicated. So yeah, that's like, that, that's that all, was not that, clear from the trailer so that's at the, all. So that's the conflict in the film is because he's actually lying about being friends with this kid. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, either way, that's, you know, you get you get a sense of the general setup there. But it's a it's a musical. Yeah. This is going to be, you know, an adaptation of uh, of the, the Broadway musical. Um, ben Platt is in this. Caitlin Beaver, yeah. um, Amy Adams, uh, so, some big names. You know, Moore. you're expecting this to. Yeah. Julian Moore. You're expecting this to be sort of a big award season movie, potentially. Um but I'm not going to lie, Scott, this trailer did not get me enthused in the same way that another trailer for a Broadway musical adaptation that's coming out quite soon, actually, In the Heights did. Uh, in the Heights trailer very much did get me excited to see the movie. Um, did West Side Story? I don't know. Not, not a Broadway musical, but did West Side Story do it for you, the trailer at that at the Oscars? Uh, yeah, I barely recalled the trailer. I, th- I mean, we, we were watching the Oscars yeah, with a bunch of people chatting and stuff, so I don't know that I even really paid attention to it. But yeah, uh, this strikes me as a thing, again, just uh, just from the trailer, right? I mean, I'm only going off of the trailer. Of course, we all know trailers can be deceiving one way or the other. They can make it look good, and it's not. They can make it look bad, and it's good, you know. Um, but this strikes me as a thing that is very Broadway, right? Like in the way that In the Heights isn't necessarily. In the Heights, you know, is about... Yeah. A whole neighborhood, this, you know, big ensemble of, of characters and things like that. You have Lin-Manuel Mar- Miranda's, you know, sort of hip hop influenced music, which I think does have a cinematic quality to it. Whereas something like this is seems very stagey um, and, you know, cheesy was the word that I used to you um, when I when I first saw this. Of course, you know, a lot of jokes are being made about the fact that Ben Platt is really looks really old to be playing a high schooler. I and, swear to God, they de-aged him, though. It looks like they de-aged him. <laughs> His wig is bad, though. Yeah, that wig is, 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 bad. is nice. bad. But um, yeah, I, I don't know the su- the subject matter of this movie. I I definitely ra- raise an eyebrow about just because I think there's some the potential to to go a little awry here when you're when you're dealing with something as serious as as teen suicide. With that being said, I was one of the the people who was very pro, you know, thirteen, 13 reasons why the first season, um, and felt like that did a very um, you know, a, a very just justifiable portrayal of um, of of this you know epidemic really, and the the potential after effects that it can have. Um, but the whole musical aspect of this, you know, does does worry me a little bit. Of like, are we going to be trivializing um, this a little bit by having these sort of you know, really over the top Broadway ballads and stuff like that. Um, so I, yeah, my only, I, I, my only response to that is that sure. I can only assume that the, that the, that the adaptation here on the screen is going to be more or less identical than the Broadway play. And this thing yeah. won buckets of Tony's. And so I don't think people had a problem with that. Well, and I don't know why the people wouldn't have had a problem with it then if they were going to have a problem with it now. Yeah. I, I mean, look, that that that's fair, but I mean, we all know that the best thing does not always win the top award at the big sure. award show. Um, sure. and, and also, like, 
I think part of what I'm saying when this movie feels very Broadway is like, there are certain things where like, if you are in the Broadway atmosphere, right? Like you go to this thing, you're in the theater on, you know, a night a or something. Night. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it, it contributes to the, like it, being in the, being in our particular environment can contribute yeah. to your enjoyment. I, mean, I think that's especially true in the case of Broadway musicals. From what I understand, the cast of the musical was like very earnest about this whole thing. Like they really believed in, um, you know, yeah. the the musical, the songs, the story it was trying to tell. So I could see how like in this very particular environment, you could like come away feeling like inspired, whatever, swept away by the magic of Broadway. But maybe this is just going to be one of those things that when you translate that to, you know, you're watching it on a Wednesday afternoon. And uh, I mean, that won't be it can maybe come off too earnest or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to, it's going to come off like a little cornball. Um, so, so that's kind of, that's just, again, that's just my first impression for like this three yeah. minute trailer. It could turn out the exact opposite, right? Like this, this movie could be great. And in the Heights could be a stinker. But I don't think I don't in the Heights is going to be a stinker, but this one, Ooh, I don't actually know yeah. I have to, to look that up. Um, but one thing I will say, and I'll be interested now that you actually know what the like what the actual setup of the film is, I'd be really interested for you to like, go back and watch the trailer again, actually knowing um, kn- knowing what the film is actually about in terms of like how it's set up, yeah, um, and actually tell me what you think because the film is like ultimately about like you talk about whether or not they're going to handle suicide properly, and you know I haven't seen the I haven't seen the play I've, I've I've listened to the sound I've listened to the to the original soundtrack from the from the Broadway musical and stuff like that, but. Um, I, I think that it is a film ultimately about t- like based telling each other that we like, we need to look out for each other. We need to make sure that people feel appreciated so that these types of incidents don't happen and that, you know, people are not alone when they're, you know, feeling mentally unwell with, you know, whatever that might be having a bad day or having a lot of bad days. And so I think that that is a lot about that. And a lot of the book or the music of the film is set in this way that I think is meant for you to feel spiritually uplifted. So I don't know how that's going to translate. I, I I won't say I share all of your concerns about that, but I think that is a valid point about how is this going to translate to going to see this on a Sunday afternoon with three other people in the movie theater with you or something like that. Um, I think that's a valid question. I think the ultimate answer to that question, Scott, is that get in your car, drive to an Alamo draft house and see this puppy on like a Friday night um, with a couple yeah, of maybe and a crowd. So this is directed by Stephen Chbosky, who, of course, directed um, Wonder and uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower and wrote the book that The Perks of Being a Wallflower is based off of. Um, Wonder, so an, interest, an interesting choice there um, because, yeah, you're talking about – I mean, look, he has a history with adaptations, right? The, the Perks of Being a Wallflower is, I think, a very successful film adaptation um, probably because he's the one who wrote the book, right? Of a, of a much-loved sure. book, which I think is hard to do sometimes to translate that to a film, but – um, we'll see if he can do that for a musical that that a lot of people seem to love. Certainly, I do. I do feel like, as much as I do enjoy the Perks of Being a Wallflower, I do feel like again, In the Heights is in better hands with John M. Chu, someone who just showed in his mo- most recent film that he can do big spectacles on the big screen. Right? Like um, that's that's absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, I don't, look, I don't think Dear Evan, but like Dear Evan Hansen's not a spectacle, like not a spectacle. But well, I mean, Broadway. It's Broadway, though. It's a Broadway musical, like. It's it's a big Broadway musical. Like they're they're yeah. always going to be more of a spectacle than your average film. Sure, like it's more of a spectacle than like I don't know what an equivalent like than Booksmart or you know I'm just trying to think of yeah. like some other like high school, high school you know type type movie. But 
I don't like it. The, the, the thing that the, this doesn't have, I really doubt this is going to feel like the spectacle that in the Heights is going to feel like, or a West side. Yeah, Star, which I know it's not a Broadway. I know, I know West side Story is not a Broadway musical, at least not, not originally at least. Um, yeah, but I mean, they're, they're different types of musical. That's probably not even fair to, to compare them really. But again, two, you got two Broadway adaptations. I mean, three, if you count West side story, but um, coming out this year. And like I said, I just, I, I feel, I certainly feel more goodwill towards one at the moment, just off of the trailers. We'll sure. see how and I think, and I think that's an, I, I, and I agree with that. I guess I haven't actually given my thoughts mm-hmm. on the trailer. I also was like, mm, maybe not the best trailer mm-hmm. of all time. I do think they could have done a little bit of a better job making it clear for people who are unfamiliar with the plot that the setup is actually that Evan Hansen and this kid who kills himself actually like aren't friends and don't know each other. They could have done a little bit better job. But I, Scott, I would encourage you after we wrap up here, just got, just take three minutes and rewatch the trailer with that in mind and see if you feel differently. Maybe you don't, because I don't like. I'm not going to sit here and say I love the trailer either. But I think you might feel a little bit differently about about. I might it. have to do that. You know? Yeah. All right. I think that should just about do it. Um, anything else you want to add for episode 142? Uh, no. I, I I think that's that's about it. Good episode. All right. Where can people find you on Twitter or Letterboxed? Uh, yeah, I'm at Scarby Dent on both. Uh, check me out over there. Um, yeah, no, I don't think I have anything to add. Just watching yeah, some good movies. Look, if you if you want to if you want to play Scott's birthday trivia, you're just gonna have to wait 360 days or 59 <laughs> days from the time of recording, maybe or time of uh, posting, maybe. I uh, I will mention that I did get a couple of new Criterion's for our birthday, which is exciting. Ooh. I got Brief Encounter and Paris, Texas. So. Yeah, Paris, Texas, a, a, a new addition to some of your favorite movies of all time, I think, right? You just watched that for the first yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, Brief Encounter, I would put in there, I would put in there too, but definitely Paris, Texas. Yeah, I mean, that that's a that's the rare, I think, one watcher that gets into my top 100. Yeah, that and Schindler's List and something yeah. like that. All Schindler's right. Definitely- yeah, you can find me at, at, Shelt- at Shelton2013 on Letterboxd and Twitter as well. Uh, please follow our, our podcast. Uh, we have a Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Check out the reward tiers if you can contribute and support us. We'd super appreciate that. If not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, share, uh, so we can continue to reach a broader audience. And with that, we are done for the day. We'll be back next week with a review of Netflix's Zack Snyder zombie film, Army of the Dead, Scott's most anticipated film of the decade guaranteed until then for scott harvey i'm scott shelton we'll see you next time